0: And we'd like to welcome back to Radio Brews News. First of all, I think we spoke to him in his capacity as a Moo Brew Brewer. Then we spoke to him as part of Hot Products Australia. Now we speak to him as new dad, Owen Johnston. Welcome back to Radio Brews News. (laughs) Thanks, mate. And uh, nice to be back. Excellent. No, it's good to have you back, mate, and uh, and being able to fit us into your busy schedule, which is, um, of course, uh, since me as arrival, has become that little bit more busy. So we certainly do appreciate it, mate.
1: The um... and my already hazy thoughts are even more hazy now. <laughs> well,
0: that's right. We'll uh, we'll do our best to kind of uh, get the pencil sharpened and uh, and your mind focused on uh, the uh, the issue at hand, which at the moment is the hop report, which has just come out. Uh, tell us a little bit about the background to it, and then uh, perhaps give us the Twitter version of the highlights.
1: Sure thing. So. You know, every year uh, after after the Australian harvest, HPA releases a, a, a crop report. Previously, we have uh, summed up somewhat the Australian conditions and the Australian outcomes. This year, we've departed a little bit from that, um, just as a bit of backstory about the crop report from HPA. It's now just primarily focused, just absolutely focused on HPA's results. We won't make assumptions or um, generalisations about the, the you know, growing conditions on other farms or or others' um, outcomes. It's uh, time for us just to focus on, uh, on us uh, and tell our story. So the 2017 harvest, yeah, wrapped up in the first week of April. We're seeing a little bit, uh, you know, of uh, an extended harvesting season with a later start and a later finish in the last few years. This one went all the way into April. Um, not that that's an issue, um, given our variety mix and the the late harvesting varieties in there. The uh, expectations around this crop were quite high. We have, you know, increased planting, new gardens coming online, the growing conditions were wet at the start of the season but really during the bulk of the season the growing conditions were good on both farms so yeah we sort of had very high expectations coming into harvest and certainly on a year-on-year basis we delivered a 43 percent increase in total yield so that is quite a bit 43 percent year-on-year growth is is a lot but bearing in mind that we got smashed by um, some weather events in 2016 so 2016's crop was knocked around somewhat Still, in terms of delivering, uh, you know, on the promise of supply and quality products into uh, into breweries, it's nice to nice to be able to report such a significant increase year on year for the total yield of hop.
0: Now, not that we want to stereotype or caricature the uh, the hop situation in in Australia, but uh, we we tend to kind of use Galaxy as as I guess the the yardstick or the you know the 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 measure by which we determine whether or not it's been a um you know a a good season or not how's um how's galaxy come out this year
1: yeah so i mean it's not unjustified to uh talk straight to galaxy it is our lead hop in fact uh i think we grow something like 600 tons of galaxy and the next biggest is ella at uh, ella and big secret neck to neck around 140 tons so there is quite a gap between Galaxy and second and third. So, you know, when we talk about impact at harvest time I and mean, what's up and what's down, everyone's mind goes to Galaxy. Pleasingly, uh, Galaxy came in just above budget in Tasmania, which is um, which is nice and credit to the guys at Bushy. Uh, but unfortunately, at Ross Trevor, Galaxy came in quite a bit down. Overall, Ross Trevor came in 18% under budget. And uh, under our production forecasts, and uh, and of course, the Galaxy is their major hop, and so the most severely impacted variety, unfortunately, was Galaxy.
0: So for those brewers out there who are looking to get their hands on Galaxy, if you if you've already got dibs on it, you'll be okay. But uh, for those wishing to perhaps discover the joys that is Galaxy, they might be disappointed.
1: Yes, I guess this, I guess the message from us is. Um, You know, based on our um, contract position and the way we manage our our agricultural risk, we are able to supply all our contracts with brewers and distributors, but spot sales for Galaxy uh, may well prove quite challenging throughout the year.
2: OJ, that's a message that I think you were trying to get out to to brewers this time last year as well, was the importance of having your contracts locked away. Um, Is that starting to sink in? I
1: think quite pleasingly, people are uh, listening, and if the only message people are picking up is uh, to have a conversation with your hop supplier, uh, whether your contract or not is is um, about the particular fit with your business and and your business's uh, you know uh, planning and 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 ability to uh, you know consistently take raw material in like that, that's fine. that's that's uh, differs business by business. But I think overall, people are having much better conversations with their hop suppliers, and uh, you know the, the biggest risk for us as farmer and merchandiser of the finished hop product is that uh, if we don't know that your demand is out there, your your requirement for our hop is out there, we can't take steps to cater for it, and you know, whether that means packing a particular product type or Um, increasing or decreasing plantings uh, you know shifting the variety mix to account for changing trends and demand in the brewing end of the industry you know we're we're flying blind so we take up uh, a buffer you know let's say we we forecast 100 units of production for a hop like galaxy we'll uh, contract up to say 85 percent and those last 15 percent will give us a buffer to account for the agricultural variation and uh, you know so that's what's Saved us this year. We've de- we've delivered on all our contracts. But as I say, spot sales will be much more challenging. On the flip side, we run the same buffers on on our other varieties. And when a variety comes in over uh, over expectations, it means the spot market's quite healthy, and there'll be ongoing availability for hops like this year. Vic Secret, Enigma, and Ella. You know that's really quite pleasing for us as we try to uh, not uh, take the focus off Galaxy, but certainly diversify our offering. You know, in in step with our mission to present choice and variety to brewers. It's really pleasing to have some availability on some really nice hops like Enigma and Vic uh, and Ella.
2: Do brewers have to be of a certain scale to be able to, you know, to enter into a contract? Not with us. Um, we,
1: uh, you know, like I, I sort of say to people, we pack down to a five-kilo box and we're happy to sell a five-kilo box. Um, so if you can take one of them, we're happy to uh, to book your sale and, and have it on our radar to... Um, to deliver, you know, when uh, when you're ready. So, no, I don't think size is important. Um, I've got uh, very small, you know, sales, 5, 20 kilos here and there out quite a few years with the different small operations here in Australia. It's, it's really nice. It, it, it gives us clarity, certainty. It gives us a reason to stay in touch and... You know, frankly, uh, that's the best way to make sure that our uh, our performance as a supplier matches your needs as a buyer, is to be in touch regularly and, and keep across what's happening in the brewery. Joe, you spoke a little while ago about the concept of
0: variety, and I noticed that this year Helga, Willamette and Summer are having their last hurrah. Does that indicate that the particular styles of beer, that those have been used traditionally in the past, are perhaps not as popular? or are there better alternatives? Or, uh, and, and secondly, what have, have those
1: particular uh, varieties made way for? Yeah, nice one. So the um, let's talk to Willamette first. Obviously, that's an open market US variety. That was grown only to one contract requirement here in Australia. And, uh, and as that contract requirement has ended, we simply don't see the need to grow that variety. So any availability for Willamette here, Australian-grown Willamette here, if through HPA was only as an outcome of our farm yield being greater than the contract requirement, so that was always a bit of an anomaly and a and you know never really amounted to much uh, anyway. Um, so that one can go. Helga is an interesting case. Helga is actually a really good hop. It's an outcome of our breeding program during the sort of second phase of our breeding program where we were pursuing substitute varieties uh, for classic European. So in this case, uh, Helga, you know, if you thought Halatau Middlefru, you wouldn't be too far away. And uh, and being able to present a, a Southern Hemisphere um, version of that, certainly you fit the bill for quite some time. But we think now, as we pursue the fully sort of differentiated hops, if you like, hops like Galaxy, a substitute, a variety with uh, substitution as its main purpose is... Um, is not really in keeping with a fully differentiated portfolio of, of offerings. So we're actually going to uh, encourage people to move back to the, to the European varieties, which we have good availability on through our Barpass connections worldwide. Summer uh, is a little bit different again. Summer is also an outcome of our uh, breeding program looking for substitutable varieties, but it's actually got a little bit more uniqueness around its profile and has some fans out there. The trouble with summer is uh, it's been around for quite some time now, longer than Galaxy, and it's never really gone past sort of the 25 to 30 ton range where obviously some of our other hops have enjoyed much more demand than than that. It's also a very patchy performer agronomically, and it's proven too inconsistent to fulfil our supply promise around. So... When we talk about contracting up to 85% of our expected yield, if the yield of a particular variety yo-yos around dramatically, you know, plus or minus more than the 15% we're accounting for, it becomes very hard to make supply promises around that year to year. It becomes very challenging, and especially on a small customer base, your opportunities for spot sales that will take up positive variance is quite hard. And, of course, every time you have a negative variance, you're disappointing someone somewhere, which is not what we're about. So we've made a tough decision on summer and we're going to axe that one. Now, summed up, Willamette, Summer and Helga are making way for primarily Enigma. And although it might sound strange in a secondary sense, Galaxy as well. So we will be increasing Galaxy plantings, but we are deliberately allocating more of the available land to Enigma. Now, this is actually as much an outcome of these three varieties that we're axing being in Tasmania, that is priorities around our variety mix. So Enigma is only grown in Tasmania, whereas Galaxy is grown in in both Victoria and Tasmania. Yep, cool. That no answers that, James.
2: Yeah, you mentioned in the report or in your notes around the report just that the the quality of Enigma and Tasmanian grown Cascade had also improved. Maybe you could just talk to what that what that's going to actually mean in practice.
1: Yeah, so uh, we we judge uh, quality on both yield and what we think is uh, impact in beer. Um, we judge that by the uh, amount of total oils captured for a given crop year. Both uh, Cascade and Enigma performed really well this year. Enigma um, actually had a record uh, oil content this year. Cascade came in just under last year's total oils, but the yield of Cascade this year was really, really pleasing. So. I think both of these hops are benefiting from some more detailed and stringent investigation on-farm techniques such as the timing of, for want of a better word, for timing of weeding and fertilising and stringing and training. So all the on-farm techniques that go into standing up a crop of hops, uh, there's many, many variables uh, pretty similar to making a beer. There's a thousand things you do in a day making a batch of beer so it is on the farm as well, growing a crop of hops. So we've had some, yeah, we've had some consistent increases in in yields and what we think is uh, our lead indicator on impact in beer. So I'm particularly looking forward to seeing some of the 2017 enigma hitting beers throughout the year and seeing that lovely white fruit driven profile shining through.
2: So it's not a case of brewers will just be using less of it to get the same result. It will actually show through in, in greater aromatics.
1: Yeah, I think so. It's very hard to pin down in a quantitative sense, but I think the bang for buck issue is real. You know, higher oil doses per gram of, of hop into a beer um, does make an impact. And uh, and even harder to pin down is that subjective sensory impact yeah. where the quality, you know, the subjective quality of a hop uh, increases or, or or fluctuates very slightly based on the um, on the crop year. So there's quite a bit that goes into that, and it's a very like I say, a very hard subject to pin down. But I'm very much looking forward to seeing how some of these hops perform out there this year.
0: OJ HPA 035. Do you want us yeah. to run a competition or something on Brews News and
1: name that hop or? <laughs> <laughs> Well there was one important omission in the uh, list of hops to meet the maker this year and uh, the fourth one is 035 so we're actually going to grub out 035 as well and make room for planting up of another experimental variety so basically what we're saying there is after three years available in in a few tonnes we haven't really seen the uptake in a commercial setting, people are happy to trial it, they seem to like the hop, people say it's got a lot of potential but no one's for want of a better term again, no one's putting their money where their mouth is and, and stumping up for 835. So we've taken the decision to move on and uh, plant up our next most advanced experimental cultivar. For those who visited us out on the farms this year, they'll have seen, especially the garden in uh, in Victoria, Ross Trevor, uh, six or eight varieties in a, in a showcase block featuring our most advanced experimentals. Uh, we'll, we'll select one. Of I think there's about 10 leading varieties. We'll select one of those and plant it up into a hectare or so of the farm and, um, yeah, make that available. Uh, I think the timing's probably the 2019 harvest, just given the lag in uh, grubbing out, planting, you know, the impact of first year and a proper harvest in second year.
0: Uh, That's interesting because we spoke, uh, Matt and I spoke a a couple of weeks ago about the, the improvements in, you know, going from experimental cultivar stage to being commercially available and I think we might have even spoken, when we first spoke to you when you first moved to HPA, and I think we used Galaxy again as the example, 2007 Cascade First Harvest, I think it may have appeared in, before it was called Galaxy. And that, at that stage, was, I'm, I'm thinking somewhere between five and seven years from, from when it sort of, you know, was conceived as an idea. How's it improved and what sort of things are you doing to, I guess, increase the, uh, the efficiency of, of
1: the experiments? Yeah, that's a good example because Galaxy was crossed in 1994 and it wasn't commercialised until 2009. So, you know, you're looking around the 15-year mark wow. for a hop as important as Galaxy to come through. Now, obviously that's complicated by the fact that, uh, you know, craft hadn't really kicked off here in Australia and and uh, our, our breeding program was still selecting for high alpha and, and our well-established uh, you know, sensory trial programs were looking for no difference rather than... Interesting difference. So, I guess if you would have talked to some of the things we've changed in our breeding program or our selection process rather than the actualities of the breeding program, definitely a uh, shift in the criteria to screen on, uh, you know, sensory interest and difference and impact rather than just on the chemical statistics of uh, growing alpha, which the business used to be based on. I guess our uh, uh, our efficiency in selecting the right cultivar to go forward with, <laughs> given that we're about to grub 035 out, I think we are making improvements there. And we're making improvements there by getting material out into brewers' hands more frequently and in better quantities and allowing HPA to see some of these experimental cultivars in a wider range of beers, backed up by more stringent, you know, trained taste panel work in base beer, you know, in a consistent light beer. So uh, low doses in a lighter beer, setting a very high bar to get over. But by increasing our exposure to the craft sort of section of variety of beers, malt backbones, dose rates, dry hopping techniques, et cetera, et cetera, we get a much uh, much more rounded perspective on what an individual hop can bring. So hopefully, you know, when we do go to make a decision about which hop gets commercialised next, we're, you know, we're, we're better informed and we, in that way, increase our probability of success. So the pressures, the pressures of commercialisation have changed. So, you know, rapid commercialisation comes with increased risk of failure. Uh, for us, that's at some expense. You know, HPO35 has occupied a hectare of the farm for three years. It's not going to go forward. It is not without expense for us. So, so for us, risk mitigation really does come through extensive testing, both in the breeding program for its chemical and agronomic parameters and how to grow it best, but also out in the market as well. So it's well vetted for its sensory qualities before we make decisions around it So. For us, the exciting thing to, to, to talk about now is, I guess, the the next commercial variety is in the ground currently. We might not have yet decided which one, but it exists in one of those eight or ten advanced varieties that we've planted up in the showcase blocks. So that's pretty exciting and, and really um, narrows down our efforts and, and in uh, screening out in the breweries and vetting for that sensory quality.
2: And so that just that's just, that's a, just a hop uh, with a number at the moment, is it? or
1: Yes, 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 it's a... They're all just numbered hops at the moment. There's uh, a whole whole raft that people may have heard us talking about out on the farms, and even had a rub and a sniff of in uh, brown paper bags. You know, they're uh, 027, uh, 033, 016. There's uh, an 035 in Victoria as well. Uh, just to complicate matters, so, <laughs> so yeah, there's there's a few out there.
2: Hey,
0: just out of interest, OJ, when you um you you talk about you now, so 035. in in tassie is being grubbed out does that just sort of end up on the compost heap or can you know people grab the rhizomes obviously not a whole hectare worth of it but you know just you know for breweries to perhaps grow ornamental hops or something in their beer gardens or
1: what happens to it yeah we do have a policy around that you know as as our company's ip we aren't keen to give away experimental cultivars. In some ways, they're triploid. They're not actually viable in a reproductive sense. So we're not giving anyone uh, insight into our the stage at which our breeding program is at, the genetic diversity we've generated. But at the same time, it is a, it is a, a very expensive investment for us and we won't be handing that over. So <laughs> I'm sure people understand that. In terms of the actual material, you know, we won't uh, burn... That unique genetic uh, outcome that'll go back into the program, we'll know quite a bit about it clearly, but the odds of it ever being planted up again are very, very low. But as a hop that we know a lot about now, and that really, I mean, well, just like Galaxy, uh, maybe the trends turn around and, uh, and 035 finds favour, or a hop like 035 would suit you know, a different time and a different trend. Maybe we, uh, Maybe it does get a chance to come back out of the cupboard. So we won't lose so, the genetics, we'll just out the plants. Yeah, it
0: could kind of, like, you know, there's a
1: potential for it to go
0: out the stud later on and, you know, perhaps become part of another, you know, crossbreed or a hybrid.
1: Yeah, not necessarily 035, just based on the on the genetic uh, makeup of that hop, but uh, we definitely, its parents are the important part of that combination. So by investigating 035, we know more and more about the parents that went into making that cross. And we can cross those, you know, as much or as little as we like. And I would say that the more we know about a parent combination, the more likely we are to go back and cross them again because we get a springboard into possible outcomes and insight into agronomics and which sector of the flavour profile the the progeny might sit in. Hopefully that makes sense. Yeah, 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 for sure. And
0: and listen, just on that, OJ, is it still kind of the the situation where it's a kind of a a hand-in-hand marriage situation between the hop, Growers, particularly in the in these developmental varieties, and the I guess the brewing uh, community as a whole, or is there one sort of driving the other? So, are you making the hops that you hope people will, or the the types of beer will demand, or are the brewers sort of saying we want hops with this, that, and the
1: other, or is it kind of let's work together? Yeah, it's a complex picture there. Um, there's definitely there's definitely a lot of work together. We definitely get a lot of feedback from brewers you know, uh, asking if we can target a particular profile. Our ability to target a profile comes down to what we know about the parents that we're going to cross to go toward that. Now, we're not in the dark completely. Obviously, we know outcomes like Galaxy and Ella and Topaz, Vic secret. You know, we know the parents that went into them. Some of them even share the same mother. We're, she's a well-characterised breeding hop. You know, that's, so that gives us some... Um, some targeted direction in terms of achieving a brewer's request for a profile. I don't think we've got an example of that actually going all the way through to a commercialisation just currently. On the flip side, we, in our screenings, you know, if we're going to rate a a new hop on difference and intensity and, and overall appeal, you know, that's where we start to narrow down the screenings. So we don't even pin a hop down to whether it's you know, red berries or its spices or its tropical fruit until way down the process. All we'll look for initially is intense, different, appealing. You know, these are quite yeah. broad umbrellas, obviously. So there's there's a mixture. That answer is um, convoluted. It is not a simple task. And the other thing that I guess we pick up without direct conversation with brewers, what we do pick up and, and learn from are the trends in people's acceptance of a hop. So, you know, the citrus fruit-driven... Are the most accepted profile currently the most successful hops out there? If you were to list the six most popular hops in the world, they have 10 out of 10 impact in beer. You know these are these are things that we are very conscious of, and potentially you could say that we can't ignore what the evidence of the consumer trends are. So you know in terms of fruit forward, 10 out of 10 impacting beer, these are almost uh, in the current setting. This is almost what you have to have to have a commercially viable hop. <laughs> yes, nah, beautifully
2: answered. We heard, OJ, when we had Jason Perrault from Select Botanicals Group in Yakima Valley earlier this year about a hop that has some very unusual aroma characteristics in that it actually, apparently, it convinces people that the beer's actually been barrel-aged. Is there anything that you're seeing, you know, in the experimental varieties that you've got currently that's vastly different to anything that HPA currently has on the market in terms of the aroma characters?
1: Uh, yes, there are um, there are sort of uh, some outliers in our program. Yeah, there's I mean there's there's, there's one that uh, uh, you know much in line with that hot breeding company variety the HBC uh, I can't remember the code for it now the the barrel aged one. Uh, you know, it doesn't immediately sound appealing for use in every recipe. We've we've got one that's uh, a bit like mango yogurt and it's it's uh, <laughs> the first time I first time I even heard a hop described as mango yogurt, I thought, Well you can keep that one. It's uh, it's not gonna be no good to anyone. But then I've gotta suspend my thinking along those lines because we are looking for difference. We are looking for things that a, 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 a humble brewer like myself has a very narrow paradigm of beer style and raw material inputs, et cetera. I don't know everything about every beer. There are brewers out there who would hear mango yogurt and go, sweet as a nut, I can use that.
2: <laughs> yeah. Well, I'm thinking there's a lot of kettle sours around these days that, that probably <laughs> might work quite well in. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. And instead of the Yakima Valley, we, could, you know, we
0: rename it the Yakult Valley.
1: <laughs>
0: oh dear. see how they
1: go with that. Yeah. 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 So um, yeah, look wait. there are some interesting there are some interesting characters out there in amongst the uh in amongst the hops and I think the subtlety of the differences. We can talk about fruit forward, but and and as you yeah, your listeners might be able to visualize the hop flavour spectrum that HPA released many years ago now. There's just one fruit access. Now, where a hop in particular lies on the fruit axis can have all sorts of subtleties and complexities in it. And that, for me, is uh, it's, I think where some really interesting developments can happen and some beers can uh, present unique flavour profiles in their detail, but still fall under that really high consumer accepted, you know, fruit forward, citrusy sort of sector. So Yeah, I don't know if we have to come completely off the wall with barrel-aged and and yoghurt, but I think there's a lot of uh, interesting hops out in our profile um, that'll find many good homes.
2: Aj, one issue that I've heard being knocked around just in the last few weeks is just around efficient hop use. When Ken Grossman from Sierra Nevada was out here, you know, in Good Beer Week, he made the comment on our panel, there are extreme uses of hops that are probably less than efficient. How do you more efficiently extract what you want out of the hop without wasting the hop? Given that we're talking about there not being, you know, loads of galaxy to play with at the moment, is that an issue that you think should be on the agenda for brewers in Australia?
1: Yeah, look, uh, tongue in cheek. Let's not forget that I'm in the business of selling as much hop as possible. So uh, you know, feel free to chuck it straight in the top of the tank. That's fine. (laughs) Um, But but that said, uh, yes, I think it is in general sort of diminishing returns on higher and higher dose rates. And and for those people who want to really push their their hop usage. I think the pressure and the and the moral responsibility is on them to investigate best practice for achieving really, really high intensity hop outcomes in the beer in the most efficient way. Simply throwing, you know, kilo after kilo per hectolitre into a dry hop over and over again, it might not be the best solution. You might be achieving what you want, but in a very inefficient way. So I think there are and I think here in Australia, with the what is it? The average age of a brewery here in Australia is like two and a half years or something silly at the moment. There's a lot of learning that can take place in the Australian industry about uh, not just dry hopping in a in a wider sense, but your brewery, your kit, your recipe, your hop bill and how you achieve your profile the most efficiently. I think people are starting to sort of become aware and more ready to investigate the different permutations and the variables that go into an effective dry hopping, for instance. So, yeah, I think Ken Grossman's very right that we should be looking at this and it should be top of mind, especially for the guys out on the top end of the dose rates. Do your R&D in your setting make sure you're happy that you're not too far down the diminishing returns and of your high dose rates so yeah i think there is some pressure on brewers out there
0: short of trial and error in their own breweries is it worth brewers perhaps uh speaking to other brewers with a say you know similar sort of size brew length is it something that can be brought up at the uh the craft brewers conference coming up in adelaide next month is there material around obviously you know we don't want to send them to you because you're not going to say yes use, use fewer hops um but are there other resources around how to brewers i guess you know suck it and see
1: yeah look uh, definitely have a chat to your neighbor find someone's beer that you love that's not your own and uh go up and pat them on the back and say that's an excellent beer you know i'm having trouble getting that crack of, of dry hop in there how do you how do you achieve that profile if you're willing to share and you'll find most people are um As long as you're buying a beer, most people are willing to share some insight into how they go about it, and uh, certainly I've been very lucky in this role at HPA to travel around many, many breweries and see many, many different versions of dry hopping and, and hop use in breweries, and there is such a variety of methodology out there. I guess once you become aware of of all the ways or the variables of which you can manipulate then it's about doing your own r&d in your brewery so yeah definitely have a conversation with other brewers and and get a clear picture of what you need to achieve and and start working on it
0: well oj congratulations on this year's harvest and thanks again for coming back and being our very own mr meeks to use the old uh trading places analogy that i think we might have busted out last year as well but uh OJ Clarence Meeks, we uh, thank you very much for your time again on Radio Brews
2: News. Thank you, guys. Have Thanks, a
1: OJ. In the garden, what a garden.
2: Brews News is made possible by Brewpac, Australia's number one craft contract brewer. With over 100 craft beers and ciders on the roster and counting, Brewpack specialises in offering growing craft breweries a home for their packaged and kegged beer, no matter how crafty. Serious about handmade beers, and with an open-door policy, Brewpack's brewers love having passionate, hands-on partners in the brewery. Thinking about craft contract brewing, think Brewpack. And uh, yes, we thank Brewpack for not only making a whole lot of great craft beers possible, but also for making this podcast possible. James. Prof, you got anything further?
0: No, 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 that's covered all of my notes.
2: Yeah, I'm That's I, I like think, forty
0: minutes. God, no one I no one's one listening by now. We're letting you off easy. <laughs>
2: <laughs> Imagine how long it'd be if Matt was here.
0: <laughs> oh
1: yeah. Well, you'd only just got through the first question. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's asking the first question.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Keep that in, Freya. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that that's going in as an Easter egg over the end credits. Uh, perfect. Perfect.